Hi, I'm Dan Gardner, and I talk about traumatic brain injury recovery. Today, I'm pleased to be talking with Frank Keene, Associate Program Director at Hidden Valley Ranch Rehab Services. Traumatic Brain Injury Recovery. Welcome, Frank. Hi, Dan. Frank, tell me about your background and how you got into the area of traumatic brain injury treatment. Well, as an occupational therapist for over 30 years, um, I started off in acute rehab. Uh, it was where I first became familiar with all kinds of brain injury, stroke, and so forth. Um, but then I actually wound up working for a long time in uh, lock psychiatry. So I had a chance to also see behaviors and the various aspects that go with that in lock psych. Lock psychiatry, you mean inpatient psychiatry? There was uh, inpatient psychiatry for adolescents I worked with, inpatient psychiatry for adults, where I actually wound up case managing specifically borderline personality disorders. And then we also developed the, an on-grounds uh, adult residential program. This is all at Fort Logan Mental Health Center in Colorado. But it was actually after that that I wound up getting almost exclusively and specifically into TBI uh, when I went to New Hampshire and worked at the new medical program called High Watch. Met a group of people there, a real collective, a program director, case manager, speech pathologist, physical therapist, and I fit in really well with that particular group. When it became a scenario where all of us could get together in a different location and start our own company, did that in California with a place called NeuroCare. Tell us about Hidden Valley. Who's it for? And what kind of survivors do you treat? It's designed as a long-term residential program for individuals that have behavioral problems as well. We have capacity for about 40 residents spread out over four different homes in Ramona, California. It's a semi-rural area. One of our houses, uh, we have a 15-bed capacity. One of them, it's 12, and two others, it's six each. And we also have a cottage where we can do some independent training for individuals that can fit into that particular criteria. So we have a real continuum throughout those four programs where in two of the houses, we have folks that are really multiply handicapped and very behaviorally involved. And in two of the other houses, it's much, much more of a supervisory role that we play, really having folks to sort of stay out of trouble as they're a very vulnerable population in the community. A lot of folks say that they're afraid of people with TBI, but it's the TBI folks that can be vulnerable to folks in the community. Can you say a little more about what type of patients reside at Hidden Valley? Well, we have folks that are very multiply handicapped. First of all, we are exclusively either a TBI or an ABI program. There are no other diagnostic categories, although some of our folks may have multiple diagnoses. Primarily, it's ABI and TBI that get admitted into this program. And ABI so, meaning acquired brain uh, Acquired injury. brain injuries. So we do have some individuals that have sort of intractable seizure disorders that were developed early on in life. We have folks that have had stroke, and we've had folks that have had anoxic incidents. And then we also have folks uh, that were classically more traumatically brain injured, either in motor vehicle accidents, falls. We've had folks in explosions. We've had firefighters. We've had police. We've had a variety of folks from different professions where they encountered or had a brain injury, uh, electrocutions. Uh, so a number of those individuals. The way that we have it all set up is there is really a continuum of care. At our main program, which we call Stone Mountain, is where our most impaired residents live, both cognitively and physically. So we have folks that are 
quadriplegic or quadriparetic. We have folks here that are really almost nonverbal and cannot do much of anything at all in terms of their own ADLs and self-care. Well, at Rusky House, we have multiply handicapped individuals. Uh, Just like at Stone, it's almost an extension of Stone Mountain because those individuals are so physically impaired or cognitively impaired. In either one of those programs, not one single resident could be left unattended. So these are severely impaired Severely impaired individuals um, who have, and a number of them have been in other programs where they just did not succeed or thrive. A lot of our folks, in fact, have come from other programs that have not been able to either deal with the physical issues, the cognitive issues, or unfortunately, the behavioral issues. And I think that over the years, I think that has been our niche and our specialty is our ability to work with those individuals that have behavioral issues that preclude them from being in other residential programs. What sort of services and activities do you offer in the program? Well, each one of the houses is set up uh, uniquely uh, for the population that is in that particular house. So we each house runs its own daily program and they all operate off of a schedule. You need something to sort of anchor everybody on a day-to-day basis. And our schedule does that. So from arising in the morning and getting medications done and getting meals done and getting the ADLs done, then dovetailing into some of the community outings, because we get out in the community a fair amount for a program like ours. I think people are often surprised at just how much we get out into the community, various things that we do. We try to do a lot of things like normal folks would do. And we're fortunate here in Southern California to have a lot of options to us, like SeaWorld. And we take folks to Disney. We have gone whitewater rafting a number of years. Right. Um, so we have so many options. San Diego Day on the Bay. It's an amazing place to be able to operate this kind of a business and to provide this kind of service in this environment. And we believe in keeping busy. So each one of the programs has its own sort of special niche. We also have, uh, as a part of the continuum, we have our own commercial nursery in town that we utilize as a horticultural therapy program. It's totally voluntary, but if folks want to be able to interact with people in the community, to gain some skills in horticulture, and have that sort of sense of productivity that I think all human beings have to have in order to have that sort of real sense of self, uh, the horticultural program really works well for about a third or more of our program goes there on a, on a five days a week basis. It's nice to have that outlet to help the residents feel like they're making a contribution. Oh, absolutely. And then they do. They get a real chance to interact with the community as it's an open setting and folks come in from you know all over Rhone, actually all over the area. We have folks in Poway and Escondido and other locations that will come in. We have regular. And it's amazing how they get to know some of our residents as well and the connectivity that can occur there. Are there other services that Hidden Valley provides? We try to keep costs as low as possible. So generally what we do when we do the evaluation process, we indicate right up front what it is that we think an individual will benefit from. And sometimes that will include bringing in occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech pathology to supplement the residential program. We do have a physical therapist and a speech pathologist who connect with us quite regularly. Those services are ancillary. And as an occupational therapist myself, I'll I'll contribute wherever I think I might be needed. Can you tell me some examples of survivors that are residents? 
I think one in particular, which is a tough case, was a firefighter who was injured on the job. He was unfortunately in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was picking up a hose, had attached it to his belt, and somebody charged the hose up without giving proper notification. You get that much power in the hose like that. It literally picked him up and threw him around all over the place. He wound up with a pretty significant brain injury. To look at this gentleman, you wouldn't know that there's anything wrong. But within five or seven minutes, you would know there's a problem in the conversation. He has a tendency to really begin to repeat himself. He loses the ends of his sentences, absolutely goes off track. That and the fact that there were some really significant and profound behavioral issues that was giving real concern to his spouse and his children. What kind uh, of behavior? Physical threats, grabbing, threats to punch, threats with household items like knives. And, and it took a fair amount of time to get into the program, the structure of the program for him, as he was incredibly resentful of being displaced from where he lived. As he says, I was forced to retire. Does he think he has anything wrong with him? No, absolutely not. So no. that's a big challenge, isn't it? When and there's an that, unawareness of deficits? the hallmarks of unfortunately of some of the traumatic brain injuries is just that that real lack of awareness that anything is wrong that inability to to notice that uh, what, what the people around you are noticing and, and, and that is you're different and that's the sad part i think you know we always talk about head injury uh, in the context of it's not just a head in person it's a head in family Yes. Because the ripple effect of an individual, particularly a breadwinner, of a mom or a dad, is profound. It's tough when it's one of the kids, but when you lose a key individual in your family that way, some folks can deal with it and some folks really can't, particularly when families feel so overwhelmed. Uh, we've had folks literally wind up coming here alone, which is tough. Mm. They lose their family. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's not. It is sad. Other examples of residents at Hidden Valley? We got a guy that was a program manager in a motor vehicle accident, had huge potential, was in college. We had uh, another gentleman, very, very similar. He stopped to help someone on the roadway and was hit by another vehicle. We've had a couple of individuals, sadly, were the victims of assault, just devastating injuries. You know, one of our gentlemen is now pretty much nonverbal, quadriplegic. It requires a maximum amount of assistance for just about every aspect of his life. We've had professional people, a nurse suffering anoxia just after childbirth. An incredibly sad situation. You know, a newborn baby and the family is just destroyed as a result of, of this episode. Each and every one of the residents just has this sort of unique and profound story that one day you're there and the next day you're not. Dramatic overnight instant change. If you're in the business, it's always in the front of your head. All it takes is a step off a curb. All it takes is a fall from a ladder. A couple of our folks here were simply falls from ladders. And people who worked on ladders or a couple of roofers. We had a gentleman that used to work in the horticultural business himself, falling off roof, hit, a, hit an electric cord, wound up having a fall and an electrocution at the same time. But they're stories of everyday people. So how fragile and how tenuous life is. Yeah, you really do need to count your blessings. Where would these people be if they didn't have a program like Hidden Valley? I get maybe three calls a week from people that can't come to Hidden Valley. We have a lot of homeless out there, and a lot of them have brain injuries. 
we have a lot of folks in jail and a lot of them have brain injuries. And we have a lot of folks with aging parents and overworked loved ones trying to care for them in, in home situations that are just not conducive to success. One of the toughest parts of the job is taking those phone calls you know, during the week when there aren't any resources available. Safe and protective housing. Right. Programs as well, like this, like that can that can provide structure and provide safety and provide the behavioral aspects that in so many of our instances are absolutely necessary. There just isn't funding for it, is really at the end of the day. I see. So Frank, in your long history of working in this arena with traumatic brain injury survivors, tell me what some of the biggest satisfactions and challenges have been. Well, the challenge again is always is is one. First of all, funding to get into a program like this. There are limited resources. Regional centers are one area where perhaps maybe a third of our current population is funded. Workers' compensation and then perhaps private settlements. That's the biggest challenge, I think, overall. And then in addition to that, the resources to take care of the ongoing sort of medical needs where individuals have dental issues and incontinent issues where people will need to get supplies for those types of things. And uh, it's more and more difficult to get the materials necessary to help these folks out. So apart from resources that you mentioned, in interacting and dealing with and treating a traumatic brain injury survivor in this program, what have been some of the biggest challenges? Uh, managing to uh, help our residents on a day-to-day -day basis um, get the things that they need to get done for themselves, develop a sense of productivity, uh, but then still work interactively with others, Those, that's a pretty significant challenge. And if you've got one or more individuals in that program that require more intensive supervision, which we do, we have had individuals that require you know, like one-to-one -one during all awake hours. Yeah, when you wind up with an individual that requires more intensive work, that is a challenge. What about preparation and training of the staff? One of the things that we do really well is train our staff. We have an extensive training program where people come in right off the bat and spend a straight 40 hours on the floor shadowing one of our house managers. The process that we have is that every single person gets trained the same way. They start at the same location, they work the morning shifts, they work the afternoon shifts, they work evening times, they move from house to house in a progression so that all of our staff are trained in all of our properties and all of our programs so that they can work with all of our residents. That's a logistical challenge. From an emotional standpoint, the job's not for everybody. No. It is not a job where if you are easily offended, uh, this is not a job for you. One day you're at the top of the pedestal and the next day you're at the bottom of the ocean as far as some of our, our residents are concerned, based upon whether you say yes to them or no. So it can be pretty challenging that way. I think we paid a lot of emphasis on teamwork and the importance of teamwork and the importance of being able to speak up and say, I need a break or I, I need some assistance with this. The administrative staff office here, the door's always open. And those of us that work in the admin office, like myself and program director, case manager, we have years of experience dealing with these residents. So You've been in the trenches yourself for a long time. We've been in the trenches, yeah. We've done everything on the floor that any one of our staff members have done. We've done, and we've done it for years. So there's no 
it's not like, oh, just go do what I say. It's yeah. go do, uh, we're going to help you to do, we're going to show you everything that you need to know. Yeah, so you're leading by example. What advice do you have for survivors, families, and healthcare providers? First and foremost, for families, you really do need to become your own case manager. It's incredibly important for a family member to really take the reins of this thing, to know where the doctor's appointments are, to know what the medications are, to constantly be looking for additional resources out there. But you really do want somebody or a couple of individuals to approach this from a case management standpoint, where you're looking at things from A to Z not only in the now, but in the future as well. Because all of our residents, I mean, traumatic brain injury doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a shorter life. A number of our residents have been here for decades, literally. And that is because we manage the care. For example, we try to get our residents and the dentists three to four times a year. We monitor the medications on a regular basis. We make changes when that needs to occur. We get primary care set up. We get all the ancillary care set up. My advice to families is, you really want to have a collaboration on doing case management for your loved one if you're going to be trying to care for them at home. How about the treaters that are outside of the program, the doctors and other healthcare providers that our residents are in treatment? Uh, we utilize two primary care organizations in town here because we can call on the phone. We can make appointments when we need to make appointments. We can get a transfer of information back and forth relatively open. We look for neurologists that'll do the same thing. We look for dentists that do the same thing. People that will discuss with us what's going on. We are able to get what we need to get done for the resident in a timely, efficient, and effective way. So we do, we actually do. We look for providers who will work with us, who will engage with us, and who will discuss with us the things that need to be discussed. As we are a residential program, I think it's absolutely incumbent that we do that. It makes sense that you look for providers who are accessible and will work with you in a collaborative way. So Frank, what else would you like to add? While this may very well be a, uh, a difficult population to work with, it's also an incredibly rewarding population to work with. It's amazing how intuitive sometimes our, our residents can be. Uh, it's amazing how caring our residents can be and how grateful they can be. It's not all negative. And even those individuals who have some of our most significant behaviors, it's amazing how every now and then you know, they'll look at you and they'll just say, thank you, I don't know what I'd do without this. It happens and it's sustaining. Very satisfying to be a facilitator in the journey of recovery and sustaining them in the best possible level of health and safety. And then uh, also engaging with the family as well. And there's a lot of satisfaction that we get from the feedback from the families as well. Thank you for caring for our loved ones so well. We trust you. We don't know what we would have done with, without Hidden Valley. That's very heartening. Very satisfying. I appreciate it. it. Well, Frank, thank you for spending the time and effort to speak with me today and I wish you the best. Thanks, Dan. Please let me know in the comments what questions you have and what other topics you'd like me to discuss.